A note. Following advice from work-life imbalance may lead to action being taken by HR, your family, the authorities, or higher powers. Welcome to Work-Life Imbalance, an advice show focusing on workplace and lifestyle issues. Any resemblance to actual advice, living or dead, or actual wisdom is purely coincidental. I'm your monstrous manager, Frank Eastman. And I'm your lovable office companion, Derek Lewis. Today, we'll be talking about corporate indecision in the deep dive before we address some audience questions and issues from the internet. But first... Before we get into the daily stand-up... I would like to tell you a story, Frank, and I think you'd be proud of me. All right. Uh, but maybe not proud. Uh, I nearly died before we started recording this podcast. <laughs> so the assassins missed. Uh, they did. But see, the problem was they used a, uh, a rather unconventional tactic. Uh, they placed my cordless mouse that is uh, very dark in color on my uh, office chair. And uh, so I just, I just sat on it. And uh, let's just say that that bastard went uh, boldly where no man has gone before. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I, I think found... I saw an episode of South Park about this. <laughs> so I lost my religion and found it again, all in the span of about ten seconds while I was extricating this thing from my anal cavity. <laughs> uh, I think I may have voided the warranty. <laughs> <laughs> This is why we say not to record nude, Derek. <laughs> you don't control me, Frank. That's merely you can't a tell suggestion. me how to be me. <laughs> I will take it under advisement, though. Especially when we start doing uh, live shows, that may cause some problems. I mean, do what thou wilt. <laughs> All right, let's do the day stand up. All right, so in the news today, something that's going to harken back possibly to your childhood. In new trademarks. Okay. They have trademarked the smell of Play-Doh. Oh, God. (laughs) Like, how do you trademark a smell? Like... I am not positive. if, If anybody is like, you know, that should be trademarking a smell, I think it should be like, uh, uh, Bath and Body Works, like that cucumber melon... Like that, that was on like every teenage girl when I was in high school. And I, I think it, it I'm not going to say it's the it's, smell uh, of desperation the, in the nineties. I mean, it really is like, Oh, you want to catch some boys slather yourself in this, uh, cucumber melon. I mean, I, I did it and it didn't catch me any boys. So apparently there's some sort of gender bias, I suppose. <laughs> um, but yeah, how do you, so how do you trademark a smell? Like maybe, you could patent like the particular chemical composition, but how do you trademark a smell, Frank? I I guess it's just uh, if if they feel like another product has encroached upon their scent game, they can take it to the patent office. the uh, <laughs> The description they had of the official Play-Doh smell is sweet, slightly musky vanilla fragrance with slight <laughs> overtones of cherry. Okay, A, that, I don't believe that, 
Does is that B, not evocative that is... of Play-Doh to you? I mean, until you hit the cherry, kind of yeah. But I mean, not not really. Like like yeah, sure. Like the you know, fake vanilla. Yeah, that's <laughs> sure. That's Play-Doh. But I I don't know. I I it's it's one of those things. Like Play-Doh definitely smells like Play-Doh. So I could see that you know the Play-Doh smell is an iconic smell. Sure, because I—it's definitely one of those things that even I'm like, oh yeah, that smells like Play-Doh. Like I—I I know what yeah. it smells like. Uh, I just—I mean, I didn't realize that one could trademark smells, and I didn't know that Play-Doh needed to trademark its smell here, some thirty or forty years on. I mean, and I—I I, I concur with you because <laughs> I have never said this smells like Play-Doh, and it been a compliment. So, like, I don't see why somebody would intentionally try to, you know, emulate Play-Doh. You know, if they're going to sue anybody for, like, trademark infringement, it should be fucking Cold Stone Creamery. Because that cake batter ice cream bullshit, like, and I, I ate it for a while in college because I guess I was trying to re recapture my uh, kid-like wonder <laughs> of eating Play-Doh. Um, but no, it that shit smells exactly like Play-Doh. That shit tastes like Play-Doh smells. So, uh, if ah. you want to take, if you want to take Cold Stone Creamery to court, then be my guest. Um, but I don't know who else would be, you know, <laughs> breaking down the door to, to get that good old Play-Doh smell in their product. I mean, maybe, maybe it is Cold Stone that they were going after in this, uh, attempt to trademark their smell. Or They've been infringing for nigh on 15 years at this point, so... Um, I don't know how retroactively it can be applied, but they'd be. Uh, actually, that brings me to a point. Uh, have you seen a Cold Stone Creamery lately? Like, just around? You know, I, I don't remember seeing one, but it's one of those things that I don't necessarily... Like, again, yeah, during a period in college, it was relatively popular, and everybody's like, let's go to Cold Stone. Um... <laughs> Let's have some. Let's have some late, uh, late teens uh, people who care nothing about anything. Let's let them just fondle our ice cream for a while. <laughs> just, well, here's the. Th so I had a friend who worked at Cold Stone, and like he, uh -huh. he, I think got the job because he loved ice cream. And then after getting the job, wait, wait, was whoa, like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Can't is that something you can put on a resume? Love ice because, cream. <laughs> because I have missed so many opportunities. <laughs> well, I mean, I think your only opportunities would be to work at Cold Stone. And here's the catch-22. Oh, okay, okay. After working at Cold Stone, he came to fucking hate the ice cream. Because he would come home of course. stinking of ice cream like that had been warming and slightly going off on his clothes the entirety of the day. And he was like, man, now I can no longer enjoy Cold Stone. Yeah. I can see that being a problem, although it's it's weird for me. Like, I've heard a lot of people describe, you know, okay, I worked at, you know, such and such place, like ice cream place or like a, a french fry place or a sandwich place, and now that smell just, like, makes them sick. Well, I, I worked as a, you know, a short order cook at a, a place in my hometown, and, you know, I would come out smelling, like, cheese sticks and chicken fingers and hamburgers and shit like that. Tell Man, me every time I walk by my closet, it just make me hungry. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm if I'm just broken, but like, it just it did not make me 
uh, in the wild get a whiff of something that smells like my clothes used to smell after after working a shift, I'd be like, man, I could really go for some fucking cheese sticks. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there's that's the stuff, my old hoodie. <laughs> look, I look, not there are not many opportunities for my clothes to bring about some sort of um positive uh, <laughs> you know, some sort of positive reaction within me. So, let me have this, please. <laughs> All right, I'll definitely let you have it. Back to my point uh from before. Have you ever smelled something that smelled like Play-Doh and been like that's a good thing. No. And especially like they're describing it. The first thing I thought of was they're describing some sort of wine, but then I know also they're describing Play-Doh. And so I just had the most unfortunate, like this is the worst possible wine moment. (laughs) And I'm sure there's a wine somewhere that is like, Hmm, oaky with slight hints of Play-Doh. And now we know that slight hints of Play-Doh are sweet, slightly musky vanilla fragrance with a slight overtone of cherry. Uh, that's the all the all the millennials that are getting into winemaking. <laughs> They're starting to make things from our childhood. It's like this one. Ta- this one smells like uh, strawberry shortcake. The you know the doll from the the eighties and nineties. This and, one tastes yeah. like push pops. This one tastes like push. Don't don't you fucking come at me about push pops, man. I'll, I'll kill some push pops. <laughs> <laughs> Uh no this one uh this one gives you the faint uh odor of uh, of gak of Nintendo uh. gak and you know this is Play-Doh no that that none of that sounds good yeah the mid 90s slime products all had a very distinctive smell as well i know that for they a did. while in the 90s like slime was big although apparently it's becoming big again in a in a yeah. make your own slime kind of thing, my daughter's like completely obsessed with like making slime out of glue and borax and then putting fragrances and stuff in it. But the borax, the, uh, you, to, uh, you have to use borax to make that shit. Apparently, yeah, it's super healthy, man. <laughs> yeah, to to make it, you just put uh, Elmer's glue and then a little bit of a little bit of bleach and a little bit of ammonia. <laughs> They're training us to make mustard gas, Frank. Oh, God. Well, at least my child yeah, will be ready to make plastique when time for the revolution arrives. <laughs> look, I'm not going to look that gift horse in the mouth. If I need an explosive expert, I'll, I'll call your daughter. That's, that's <laughs> look not up a bad my idea. kid, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I know for a while there was a, a shortage of Elmer's glue because somebody somewhere posted that shit to Pinterest, and every kid lost their fucking mind. Oh, no. Oh. The only thing I can think of is that there's some low-rent Play-Doh knockoff somewhere that they're, like, spritzing little perfume bottles of Play-Doh sent in, and and they gotta (laughs) knock that stuff off. Like, it's some some cheap traffic, you know, like the Louis Vuitton (laughs) of Play-Doh. The, uh, the the Fuji. (laughs) Exactly. Or Fay bands. <laughs> <laughs> Want to get into the uh, deep dive? Yeah, let's do that. All right, today on the deep dive, I uh, want to talk about uh, moving targets. And this is the situation where the goal or direction of your company or project changes rapidly at the drop of a hat in a way that is completely out of your control. Now, Frank, being in the, you know, the, the project management, the... Yeah, the scrum master arena obviously you are kind of uh 
drifting in the wind as the higher-ups above you change their mind day after day. Uh, give us the skinny uh, as best you can. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do skinny, Derek. <laughs> yeah, so so how has that negatively affected you? And, uh, you know, just what kind of calamity can that wreak on your life? Well, one of the things that I've seen happen over and over again is every three to six months, give or take, and this has happened across companies, someone will get hired in usually at an upper echelon, sort of a VP of something or a director of something. And they yeah, come to the C level or, or possibly C level and they come equipped with the new hotness. And it can be anything from a new programming language to a new framework to a whole new business unit to, you know, an entirely different direction to take existing products or services that the company has. And then it's all about face. Let's go do this. This is the most important thing. Everybody needs to to step up and step into line and learn how to do this new new thing. And then six months later, we're not all fucking rich. It's not been raining money from heaven. And right. so out with that guy and in with the next person who has a, it's almost what I would consider, you know, that uncle that you've got that's got the get rich quick schemes. <laughs> uh, which now is the multi-level marketing schemes. Uh, I guess that's the uh, uh, get rich quick schemes of, of our generation. Yeah, the pyramids. Yeah, pyramid schemes. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've seen this in a in a couple of different, a couple of different jobs that I've had before. I, I think that the the one that we shared probably was the the worst offender. I think uh, because, like you said, they they'd hire in somebody who, essentially, I, I guess they were they were hiring them to fix a problem, but in coming in and and using their you know wild ideals and and fancy new like you said, frameworks or technologies or corporate jargon, uh, they just, they do something. They they make a lot of changes. But the question is whether or not it actually, A, whether or not it did anything positive, and B, whether or not whether or not they were out the door before any of that, that positive, positive change actually got realized. And that's one of the things that I tend to see, I think, is that, you know, these things happen on a relatively short cycle, three to six months. And with a lot of stuff in business, it can take quite a bit longer than that in order to to really reap the benefits of something. And so you'll you'll be continuing down a path and it doesn't necessarily look like anything's coming of it, especially at a high level, like on a low level, you might be able to see dividends, but at the at the highest level, you're not seeing actual dividend dividends. Right. And, and so they go, well, obviously this isn't working, so let's scrap it and try something else. And it's like, well, it it was just getting to the point that it would work, but I guess we'll just all go do something else now. So, I mean, is this kind of a, a feature of the industry that that we're in? Because, I mean, just think about that for a second. <laughs> like, if, uh, you know, some sort of construction agency or something like that, you know, oh, okay, we're going to use this uh, this new type of, of crane that does this one thing and you have to purchase like $15 million worth of equipment and train all your people for, for six months and then you can start using it. And then, you know, after six months of implementing all of it, you know, nobody really knows how to use it yet. I mean, even though it might have been part of the roadmap, they might have been they might have said, hey, it's going to take six months for us to even start this, you know, much less realize it. And then after 
that six months of not realizing any of the impact or anything like that that they that they assumed it would have, even though they were told otherwise, they they can the guy. Yeah, you know, that that doesn't seem to be something that would that would work in in that type of uh, circumstance. So, I mean, is it really just the the the, the high pace or, or the fast pace of the industry that we're in? It might have something to do with software in as much as most of the time with software, nobody is going to die. Like the first thing that I'm thinking is <laughs> there was well, you've that... obviously never been in some of the meetings I've been in, Frank. <laughs> it always seems like someone's going to die for all that everyone's hyped up about it. But there was that incident uh, in, I think it was Florida on a, on a campus where they were constructing a new footbridge overpass. And they were using a new construction technique that I guess hadn't been used a lot before, where essentially they built the bridge off to the side and then lifted it into place and put it in with a crane or some something like that. You know, it was, it was new. It was okay. fancy. Uh, it was supposed to save an enormous amount of time and prevent them from having to shut the roadway down. Uh, right. And then the son of a bitch collapsed and killed some people. Ooh. I was about to say, in theory, that seems like a, a sound a sound idea but I, I mean i guess maybe execution could have been part of that but i mean theoretically it doesn't sound too bad yeah but. theoretically it doesn't sound bad but i i think that's kind of with you know with software development unless it's sort of fundamental os that a life support system runs on or something it's you know worst case scenario we waste a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of time and some people are inconvenienced while trying to check out on Amazon or something. Yeah, because like you said, nobody, probably nobody's gonna die. Like if somebody can't get to their their web page or something, uh, it's probably not gonna completely kill them. So as somebody like myself who you know I'm kind of on the you know the the bottom half of the the uh, organizational chart mostly being, except for my stint in management, mostly been one of the peons doing the work and things like that. As, as somebody like that, how in the hell can you just essentially ride these waves? Because you know that it's going to happen again. Somebody, somebody comes in, completely changes your way of life uh, as it pertains to your day-to-day -day job, and then you know, six months later they do it again. You, know, you never really hit that point of of comfort. Like, you're always either learning something or you're on the bleeding edge or you, know, you never really feel like you have full full grasp of what of what you're using so how in the hell can you <laughs> can you either find something consistent to to be like this is the core of my job and all the rest of it can change uh or do you just become completely uh in in uh, not incensed uh but completely impervious to change well, I think, you know, with with the way and the speed at which software tends to change, I think being willing and able to change rapidly on a dime, essentially, is, is pretty important. And, and that will help with situations like this. I will say that the people that I have seen that have survived the longest are i'm not gonna say yes men but they're the kind of people who can get very enthusiastic about something and then become very <laughs> enthusiastic about something completely different the moment the person right. above them is like you know what you know how i said everything needed to be purple yesterday it now all needs to be green today and they're just like green green's my favorite color i've always loved green don't know why we went with purple always should have been green <laughs> 
I, I mean, I guess that's a way to, to move through life uh, somewhat unscathed, but, I mean, fuck it, man. Sometimes you get hired to paint stuff purple, and if they, if they start telling you to paint it green, you're like, I don't even know what this fucking color is, man. This is, this is some horseshit. And that is, uh, that and is one you... of the things that's kind of problematic, is, like, if you have a skill set that is part of one of these rapidly changing sort of dogmas or programs or methodologies it it can be somewhat uh, dangerous as far as your career goes like if you're a java guy and they're suddenly like java's old and it's outdated we're all moving to something else then suddenly you're you're left sitting there with a 20 year backlog of experience that is no longer applicable to the job that you've had for the last 10 years so I'll I'll derail the conversation uh, by saying that that Java is essentially the cockroach of the uh, the development world. Uh, not saying that Java developers are cockroaches, except for the fact that when the nuclear holocaust hits, all that will be left is Java developers. <laughs> like it has it has been not not one of the oldest languages, but of the kind of the more modern object oriented languages. It has been. Uh, impossible to fucking stamp out and you know i thought a few years ago oh we're finally going to move past java everything's going to be okay uh <laughs> but then you know netflix oss and all sorts of shit that started coming out and now java is once again you know with aws the new hotness and i'm just sitting there looking around going like who the fuck thought going with java was a good idea again like I thought, I thought that we had met as a community and had, and had decided that it was a subpar language. We decided that like back in like the early two thousands, like Derek, fuck JavaScript or or fuck Java, we're doing this other thing. In a general sense, we have as a society looked around and said, you know, some outdated shit that we thought we were done with. <laughs> Let's go ahead and pull that out of the deep corner of the closet somewhere and dust it off and march it around a little bit. Oh, you are you are all too correct, Frank. What was I thinking? Thinking that that there were things that we could escape and could move on from and that that wouldn't haunt us on a daily basis. What was I thinking, Frank? <laughs> Java's always there, Derek. Sometimes it's not out in the open. But it's hiding. <laughs> it's hiding. And all it takes... Biting its time. <laughs> all it takes is for one little slip-up, for Java to rear its head and roar back to the front and take control of everything. Oh, God. Man, I swear to God, if I ever create, like, a uh, some sort of uh, fantasy campaign or something, the, the, the final boss will be, like, the, the physical manifestation of the programming language Java. <laughs> <laughs> It will be completely unbeatable, and uh, it'll make you sad the whole time you have to look at it. All right, you want to take the elevator to accounting? Let's take the elevator to accounting. All right, Derek, I wanted to try out a new segment that we're going to call... The Review Retrospective, where I'll just take Ooh, I like it. reviews that we have gotten on iTunes and give some thanks to the folks that have given us some thanks. Well, I think that sounds like a good idea. So the first one is from Blandy Astercan, 
who says, great show, and gave us a five-star rating and said, I'm a follower for life. Oh. So I, well, that, I hope that they Life have is a, a long time. I was going to say, I hope they have a long and prosperous life. I guess we can't lose half of our, our listener base. That, that would be terrible. No, so <laughs> Blandy, definitely look both ways before crossing the street. And if you've got one of those shifty co-workers, make sure that they don't toss you under the bus. Yep. Our second is from Berserker Guy, entitled No Job, No Problem, rating five stars. And Berserker Guy says, I do not have a job. I've been a waste of life all of my life, but now hearing this show has made me realize the joy of work. Reports? Awkward moments in the urinal with your boss? Getting too drunk at the holiday party? Having HR brush all the CEO's sexual harassment under the rug? I want it all. Because of this show, I now have a LinkedIn account. (laughs) So you know what that means, Derek. What is that? We are one step closer to the end of the world. Why? Because one more person has a LinkedIn account? Yes, uh, this is a little known fact, but once we get a certain percentage of the population, and I think it's uh, 15% of the entirety of the world's population on LinkedIn, uh, that's it. That's, that's the harbinger of the end of the world. I'm, I'm, bringing, uh, I'm bringing LinkedIn to everybody, Derek. <laughs> you, you, you would. We'll all go together when we go. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thank you, viewers. We uh, or listeners rather. Uh, Hopefully, there are no viewers given your lack of pants while recording. Not to part the kimono, but yeah, <laughs> part in the kimono, and I'm not wearing anything underneath. <laughs> I like the way the silk feels on my nethers. <laughs> on the plums. <laughs> All right, and this week for the Indie Podcast Corner, I want to talk about uh, a podcast called For Better or Worse. Oh. Is uh, it about marriage, Derek? Not about marriage, but it is marriage adjacent. Ah, uh, go on. The, the two hosts are Jason and Aaron Walker, and they are indeed a married couple. Um, they make each other watch movies they like, and then they discuss what they did and didn't like about them. I... <laughs> This is something that my wife and I do, although it's one-sided and she always makes me watch horror movies. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, so this is this is a podcast <laughs> about a couple torturing each other, and I'm interested, Derek, do go on. And, and so when I first read the kind of the, the idea behind the podcast, I was like, oh man, this is going to turn into, uh, you know, just infighting and they're going to be like, you, wa- you, you know, you like shitty movies, you like shitty movies. No, uh, they are, they are very delightful about it. And, you know, I throw the worm, I throw the word, uh, charming around a lot, but holy shit, every time I've used it up until this point, it has been a complete and utter lie because these two folks are the most charming people I've ever had a conversation. Um, if you are diabetic, watch out (laughs) because, because the amount of sweetness that is in this podcast is... Uh, not unbearable because it's it's an amazing show. Uh, but after watching it, I was physically sticky from all the sweetness. Oh uh, God, Derek! That, that they sussed out of that conversation. I was I was getting uh, ready to go listen to the podcast, but I don't know if I can handle being <laughs> sticky. That's like my least favorite state. 
Yeah. Okay. So so I guess watch it with a uh, a moist towelette. That way you can uh, kind of catch the stickiness as it as it. I comes mean, on. moist is pretty uh, bad too, Derek. <laughs> Look, Frank. You can either be sticky or you can be moist. You got to choose one of them. <sighs> All right. I'll take a shower after listening to the podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't think I did them any justice, but they are they are a f- fantastic show. Um, they have a uh, twenty low 20s mid 20s uh, episodes out now um and everyone that i've listened to has been just as good as the the first one i listened to so um you can find them at fbow pod on twitter uh and once again that is the for better or worse podcast go get, go check them out like hi everybody i'm pitney and this is amelia from the bitchin boutique we'd love to have you explore our wonderful world of weirdness with us all delivered with our signature humor sassiness and dare i say bitchiness general fandom star wars star trek fabulous furries horror pitney's obsession with eating terrible foods amelia's penchant for real cooking the worst person in the world who thinks it's stupid to brush your teeth. Verity Noslin, who once cried in a Kinko's because the wrong copier was used. Trisha von Lichtenstein, a woman with a less than wholesome relationship with her car. But wait, there's more. Like everyone, we have our more serious sides, and we share a healthy dose of what makes us tick and what is important to us. Queer issues, women's politics, alternative spiritualities. Stop on by for a visit. We're sure you'll want to stay. Pitney and Amelia's Bitchin' Boutique, wherever the best podcasts are found. My my office is just out to kill me this for some reason this episode because I, I sat on my uh, my mouse before we started and then uh, I had set up the beanbag behind me to kind of be like a little bit of a, a sound block and uh, son of a bitch just start just decided to like roll over on me um, <laughs> and this is like a hundred and fifty pound beanbag this is not like <laughs> some packing pin that's fallen over on me like I felt like somebody tackled my chair like it was. <laughs> What the hell are you doing with a 150-pound beanbag as a sound baffle? Well, <laughs> you make do with what you got, Frank. I guess so. I guess the kicker of it all is it's not really a good sound baffle. It's just it like any port in the storm, I suppose. Hold on, let me, let me fix this motherfucker. Jesus! <laughs> it's like moving a dead body. <laughs> Oh no, Derek's going to get trapped in the rest of the podcast. is just going to be Derek calling out weekly for help from the other end of the room. Uh, all right, Derek, you want to get to an audience question? Let's do it. My best friend is a great person, and I love the guy like a brother, but he pronounces words wrong constantly. He leaves letters out of or pronounces words like a kid would, even in public, And when I've casually brought it up, he says, oh, that's just how I say it. How do I get him to realize that most words have a proper pronunciation and you can't just say them however you want? Am I in the right here? Or am I the asshole trying to suppress my friend's free-spirited nature? Sent in by Word Weariness in Woodstock. Hmm. Frank, uh, you being an English major, I think... I feel like you have uh, both educated and uh, quite vehement opinions on this. 
what do you think? I'm of two minds on this, Derek, and and that's where it's, it's problematic. Okay. So one, uh, yes, words have appropriate pronunciations, and God damn it, let's use them. <laughs> but two, is there any amount of wiggle room? Like, well, that's how we get divergent dialects. Okay. It, so you know the posh British accent is actually very far away from uh, English in the time of Shakespeare. Hmm. And Shakespearean English is actually a lot closer to Appalachian hillbilly speak than it is to British English. And So what the fuck happened there? Well, that's because they had slow divergence in England as people pronounced things differently in various regions... Uh, for fun and just for sort of uniqueness. Um, and, and that's just how language tends to go, is it, it slowly morphs over time. But in the Appalachian regions, it was, you know, difficult to get around and relatively lightly populated, so you didn't get a lot of lexical shift. And so a lot of the, the way words are formed and a lot of word usage... Uh, actually sort of stagnated in that area, uh, sort of mm. giving us a snapshot of what language was like, you know, hundreds of years ago. It has shifted, you know, it's not that it's it's completely the same. It's just, right. it's a lot more similar than, you know, British English is to, like, Shakespearean English. So are you trying to sell me that this this guy may be an innovator? Is that what you're trying to tell me? That maybe he's ahead of the curve? It's possible. Because here's the thing, Derek. If if everyone begins to pronounce things the way that he does in his area, he's an innovator. If they don't, then he's just an asshole who doesn't know how to say fucking words correctly. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like, you know, the, the, the problem here is that, you know, he is the only person pronouncing it the way that he does so i mean i guess maybe he is uh you know i started pronouncing (laughs) i started pronouncing words poorly uh before it was cool type of thing Um, (laughs) bad pronunciation uh hipster yeah yeah not not one of the more popular breeds of hipster but uh I'm, i'm guessing it's out there i want to i want to ask is it okay when is it okay to correct somebody if somebody was to just constantly and without any sort, without any sort of, um, without any shame or guilt or anything, pronounce these words uh, in their their butchered forms, would you would you correct them? Would you? I mean, how would you? It like, depends on you their cor- purpose for usage. So, like mispronunciation of words is also definitely a meme thing, and and it can become like this is where slang comes from as well. And right. so if, if it's kind of a purposeful bastardization of the word for humorous or in-group marking sort of intent, then, you know, they're just, they're doing something specifically. If they just keep pronouncing the word paladin as paladin because they don't know any fucking better and they <laughs> refuse to listen, I might have a minor freak out at him at Gen Con in the early 90s. <laughs> Not saying that that actually happened. 
But see, that that's the thing. I, I think you're hitting on the, the key here is that if they are just unrepentant in their use of this word, because it sounds like, you know, it sounds like the, the question asker, uh, you know, they have brought up the subject before and this person has decided to be willfully ignorant of the, the real pronunciation. Um, now, I know that if, if it were me, uh, <laughs> whatever, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a know-it-all. I know that saying that just makes me seem more like a fucking know-it-all. In, in a case like that, I think I would have a little bit of trouble just letting it go. I, I think that I would probably be that asshole that, like, not not to make them like feel bad, but just like go to Google, type in pronunciation of paladin, and then like play it out loud. Like, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that way we can all hear it. I don't know. Um, Going to the internet and hitting pronounce this word for me is how we got that whole Yanni thing. Oh God, is that really what what sparked it? Uh, yeah, I like behind the meme, some kid was, uh, I guess, doing vocabulary stuff and recorded himself having uh, played it. So it was coming out of speakers going into like a shitty microphone and it caused a lot right. of distortion. The distortion is why, you know, you got the, the secondary word in there. But but yeah, it, it literally came from a vocabulary page. And, and I will say. Uh, those vocabulary things, uh, the, the pronunciation bots or whatever, especially when played through like phone speakers and stuff, they do leave a lot to be desired. So, so I could see some sort of like uncertainty about the way things were pronounced, but I, I think there are some things that if somebody mispronounces, like there, there is not, <laughs> no, nothing is, uh, up in the air. Nothing is, uh, undecided. There are some words that you should just pronounce like everybody else. I'm I mean I'm just going out on a limb here and painting myself in that uh in that category, but like if if you walk up to somebody in a professional environment and you pronounce something the way you did as a child, if if I'm on the other end of the interaction, I will have a hard time taking you seriously. Oh yeah. I'm like the fuck did you just say? Well again, uh a lot of pronunciation is signaling, so in-group signaling kind of uh, activities. And so what basically what you're what you're saying is that if if someone comes in and mispronounces a word, they're signaling that they're not necessarily part of that in-group. and And that's especially important right. in like a work sort of situation. And so this is where you get uh, folks who are very good at like code shifting is what it's uh, called. Uh, people who can use vernacular modes of speech and then switch to a different vernacular completely uh, based on, on sort of the circumstances that they're they're working in. Is, is, is this like when I go and I stumble upon a group of people talking sports, I can kind of sort of blend in for the moment while I am passing by them and then revert to my uh, nerdy form after I get past them? Yep, that, that, that's sort of, in a nutshell, exactly how it works. Or, you know, if you've got a, a thick southern accent, but you sort of suppress that accent when you're talking to people from not the south and you want to seem well-educated, because there's sort of that stereotype that people from the south who sound especially southern are not very well-educated. Right. Or 
I never picked up the southern accent, and I was very sad when I was in uh, the northern area of the country for graduate school. Uh huh. Because I could have been so so sneaky if I had come in with like this <laughs> thick southern accent, right? And then just been underestimated by everyone constantly. Uh, could have gotten so many free passes. Yeah, it, because it's it like, would have been oh, great. Well, I mean. Yeah, I mean Frank got this answer wrong, but I mean he's southern, so we could we could cut him a little slack. I mean, it's fine. I have this this habit where uh, in in probably 90% of situations, uh where wherever I'm at, like so so I'm I'm from the north. Uh I was born in Illinois, um came to Alabama and uh didn't didn't necessarily like pick up the the southern drawl that much. I mean, I guess our our northern listeners can decide for themselves whether or not I've picked up the the southern drawl. Um, but uh, but there are times, there are many many times where I find myself around other people that have like a thick southern drawl, and I kind of feel like like I'll sort of <laughs> I don't know maybe I'm you start to it, pick it up. Well, I start I start to use it, and yeah. I guess it's like like maybe. I don't know. This is weird. Like just just as I'm saying it out loud, I'm trying trying to discern what my purpose for doing it is. Um, I guess part of it is uh, I want to, you know, be, you know, approachable, like so that I'm not like uh, completely seeming as somebody who is unlike them or something. Yeah, um, that's that's that in group signaling. I think part of it is that sometimes I feel like it's a translation thing, like. <laughs> Like, if I say it without the accent, they may not get it. And and this this goes completely in the opposite way too. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not for it's not an intelligence thing. But it's like if somebody says you know highway, you know, and then you come in and say highway, you know, they'd be like, what? Oh yeah. Oh oh highway. Oh okay, it's down the road a piece. So I think oh, if if you've got a friend who's just saying one word wrong and you can tell that it's not because it's like a meme from the internet or a, a moment of, of ignorance, um, because sometimes you'll run into people who've only ever read a word and have never <laughs> had to speak the word. And now, now that you say that out loud, that that seems completely plausible. Holy crap! A, a lot. This will happen uh, a lot with relatively rare, like vocabulary kind of words, where people just look at it right. and they're like, "Hmm, I think I'll just, mm -hmm, I'll just go out on a limb." I, I, I will say there, there is one that gets me every time. It is the word misled. For some reason, that word misled. Like I had, you know, I'd heard it. I, uh, I, I'm sure I've said it before, uh, plenty of times. But then. For some reason, <laughs> there was some point in college, uh, I was I was reading it out loud, or you know, I was reading out loud, and it came up to the where it said misled, and I said misled, and I was like, oh fuck me, I've never seen that written down before. <laughs> so I guess it like, works Jesus in the opposite Christ. direction. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I guess uh, you know m maybe that's one of those things where it's like, okay, I never have heard this pronounced, but I'll I'll. Uh, I'll go ahead and just try to use the word in my in my everyday language without necessarily knowing the the pronunciation. And you know, given the age of the guy, like it, it probably maybe the internet wasn't a thing back then, so you could like 
you could check the internet for knowledge uh, in your formative years. But um, okay, so I, I can see that being. I, I'm softening up on the issue just a little bit. I'm still uh, I'm still a pronunciation jerk, but uh, maybe I'll have some sort of <laughs> some sort of tempering from now on. <laughs> I think it it has, as I said, I think it has a lot to do with the purpose behind it. Because if you're just doing it to be an asshole, then you're just an asshole. <laughs> Want to run up on an issue from the internet, Derek? Yeah, let's do that. All right, this one, this one's a little bit, little bit lengthy. Not, not terrible. I keep a bowl of candy on my desk, but coworkers are starting to get rude and greedy. By faux show, spelled F A U X S H A U X. Oh, so, very well done. Very well done. So French. Uh, I would say more Creole Cajun probably. (laughs) I'm pretty shy around new people so when I first started at my job a year and a half ago I put a bowl with some candy in it on my desk to encourage people to stop by and say hi you know get to know me the thing or get to know me thing Uh, it worked however my candy bowl started getting some popularity and people are now coming out of their way to my desk just for candy I had to switch to cheaper candy and then eventually I had to start expensing it Holy fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Line items for fucking candy bowls. Now I have people coming to my desk to take candy multiple times per day. I have coworkers walking in my office suite, taking candy and leaving without saying hello. (laughs) The other day, the bowl was completely empty and one coworker came to my desk in the afternoon and said, Oh, the candy bowl is empty. (laughs) And I just said, Yep. She said, Guess I'll find something else to snack on. <laughs> I didn't answer. Like, come on. Since when is it my obliga- obligation to provide snacks for everyone? It's just candy people. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> it's just candy, comma, people. Not not candy people. Um, <laughs> I also have coworkers that will walk into my suite. <laughs> I also have coworkers that, will, that walk into my suite and start going through my drawer where I keep the bags of candy to go in the bowl. I find that really rude to go through through someone else's drawers. <laughs> here's I think here's that a tip: alone. never reach into someone's drawers without permission. <laughs> HR would have a serious problem with that. I know it's not my personal property, but I work in HR, and sometimes I will temporarily keep sensitive information in my drawers. <laughs> That's a weird place to put it. I mean, where else is it going to be as safe as it can be? Well, I mean, <laughs> not in this type of environment, it isn't, um, until I can store it electronically. Am I overreacting to my coworkers' behaviors? I feel like they're getting greedy and rude. I just want to take away the candy bowl, but I don't want to deal with the, the pouty faces and what happened to the candy bowl comments. It feels like I'm dealing with children here. Is there anything I can do? Should I deal with it? Should I go full bitch and just take away the bowl? Simple answer so to this. Yes, because fuck you, Janet from accounting, coming in <laughs> and being all, oh, I guess the candy bowl is empty. Like, yep, obviously the candy bowl is empty. <laughs> God, that was the part that, that just struck me as like, holy shit, these are just unabashed, just vultures, just piling into the candy bowl. Uh, God. No, yeah, I mean, I, like... I can't ima- like I can't imagine just going into somebody who was who was doing something kind and being like, hmm, you're not doing that kind thing today, are you? Um, fuck you, I guess. It's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, People can be monsters, Derek. They absolutely can. 
Um, I mean, obviously, uh, keeping it in in her drawers. Ha ha ha! Very funny. Um, <laughs> we can only use that joke twice per show, Derek. And yeah, we we've hit our quota. Um, yeah. So so this person, you know, has the candy bowl out so that other people can come by and take candy. Um, I mean, purposefully so that that you know she can be seen as the candy person and. Uh, people come by and say hello and, and mingle and things like that. I think that it completely is undermined when somebody not, not even like if it's often the first time somebody walks in and grabs a piece of candy and walks out without saying hello. That is when the candy bowl stops. Like, like that is the hard cutoff. Like you, you have completely missed the point and I'm just going to push this all off into the garbage right now, and that's it. Now, I, I had a coworker who did the candy bowl thing, and um, it was like that was that was their thing, though. Like that was right. their thing. They wanted to to have the candy bowl. Uh, they got everybody's sort of. They knew what uh, people they worked with's favorite candy was, and they'd spike the bowl with the good stuff. I'm right. looking at you, Reese's Cups. <laughs> Though I think a couple people in the office, uh, me, me, I'm, I was probably included in that. Uh, Reese's were kind of a, a dangerous thing to put in the candy bowl because uh, I think several of us had this kind of sixth sense to, to know when she was about to dump some Reese's in the candy bowl. And so <laughs> we'd hear like the the uh, the telltale you know, thumps the telltale of crinkle. Reese's hitting the... Yeah, the the telltale crinkle, and all of us would kind of like pop up from our desks, be like, "The Reeses are here." <laughs> just like you see, do you see like stacks of paper just explode as we all sprint off towards the candy bowl? I mean, we could have just like bought our own. Oh yeah, that would that would defeat. Fuck that, that's free. <laughs> like I guess as a as a species, we enjoy the thrill of the hunt. I guess and. <laughs> I did not want to feed. I wanted to hunt. The, the Reese's Cup is that much sweeter if we had to uh, compete for it. Stalk it wow. through the savanna. <laughs> I didn't think I was an apex predator, but I mean, here we are. <laughs> oh, how far the mighty have um, fallen, Derek. Yeah, the, the, the part about this that, that got to me, I think, the most was, was the fact that uh, it be, it started to get expensive, and so they switched to the cheaper candy. So we're talking like you know the, the bag of like Tootsie Rolls and those like brown and orange uh, peanut butter taffy bullshit. Oh things. no, the uh, Halloween garbage candy. Yes, yeah. So we're down to like that, and you still have to expense it. Like unless you, unless you like work in like uh, Jesus, I can't even imagine like. Where would you have to work for people to be like going through that much candy that you can't even like keep the shitty stuff in the bowl without without like actual financial repercussions? Like Jesus Christ. I mean, <laughs> at the point that it stops being fun, that's the point that you stop doing it, I think. Like it was it was originally intended as a high getting to know you kind of thing and and once that had been corrupted, I think you're completely within your rights. And, you know, I get that uh, that this person doesn't want to uh, create a conflict situation by taking away the candy bowl. 
But right. at the same time, as I said before, fuck off. Like, if... <laughs> If folks are just stopping by and like grabbing handfuls of candy to stuff in their face and not actually engage with you as a person, you are just now the provider of candy. Right. And it's lost its purpose. And, and at no point should something that is candy based be an unenjoyable situation. Right. And, and as you were saying that, that last statement about um, essentially you know, once you were a candy providing service, uh, it it no longer should be something that you should, you have to keep up with. Um, that that kind of put the two and two together, and you know, essentially, you know, what should, this person ended up being was the the candy dispenser, and you know, then the fact that they were expensing it almost started to make a little bit of sense um, because you know maybe this is kind of like the uh, the free the free soda in the in the break room type of thing um of course the the apparently the employer was not asking this for a you know this is not a service they were they knew they were providing until they started getting expense reports but <laughs> um but yeah so if if they are you know able to get it like expensed and then maybe they could put it somewhere um you know that that was more centrally located so they they wouldn't have people like rifling through their through their their desk. See how I didn't say drawers. Ah, that is, well done. That is restraint. Well done. That is restraint and personal growth. I, I admire you, know. you, Derek. Uh, that's the way it should be. Um, so if they if they they put it for far enough away that nobody's going to be rifling through their desks and aren't expecting them to to do it, like have some sort of like message uh, or memo that goes as this. Okay, we're going to buy this much candy a week, and you know if if we run out. By Tuesday, then we don't get Tuesday till the the following week or Tuesday. What the fuck? I, uh, we don't get candy until the following week. Again, where I'm um, at, Derek, is fuck off with all of it. <laughs> so at an off, you know, you know, Frank, you keep bringing up that point, and I keep dismissing it. I'm not going to dismiss it anymore. <laughs> that is a great. Well, great I worked point. at an office that uh, they decided to get a kegerator. The the CEO did. And, uh-huh. like, decided to get a kegerator so that there could be beer in the office that people could have for free uh, as sort of right. one of those perks things. And I made the mistake of, like, volunteering to put together the fridge. And I didn't even oh, volunteer. Boy. I think I was just kind of happened to be there. And they were, uh, and the CEO was like, uh, could you put this together? I, I'm busy. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, sure, I guess. And from there on out until the time that I left, I was the fucking bar the kegerator guy. Like, not yeah. just... <laughs> I mean, I, I had to learn how to to the keep of, of a kegerator. Uh, you know, going and wow. getting kegs was my job. Cleaning the lines, you know, setting it up, tearing it down, making sure everything worked. If there was ever a fucking problem <laughs> with the keg, people would come to me. Uh, it's all foamy. And it was like... <laughs> the carbonation's all, all out of balance. <laughs> and it's like, fuck me, I... Like, I did not realize that I was signing up for this labor for the next right. however many years because I volunteered that one time and didn't just run. Like, apparently, I should have stood up, 
turned and bodily jumped out a goddamn window. <laughs> that would have been that would have been preferable to the uh, months and years that followed. I think. Uh, and I and it's like I don't. I've got a skill now that I can't necessarily really put on a resume because guy who kept up the single keg in an office somewhere isn't going to get me a job at like a bar and it's a job in a bar right. that i wouldn't want like it's a kind of gross <laughs> smelly difficult job lugging kegs around and stuff it's not exactly fun yeah, cleaning out like yeah cleaning out the tap tubes and stuff like that like that uh i forget where it was i, I was at a bar uh somewhere in the the local vicinity in Tuscaloosa and uh they were they were doing a cleaning of one of the uh the taps that hadn't been used in a while my god oh yeah the foul foul shit that comes out of there if it's been unused for even like a couple of weeks holy shit you you were talking about like the the devil sticky goo <laughs> uh from your plumbing problem like maybe this wasn't quite as potent but it was on the level like it was it was terrible well i mean <laughs> beer is to many things delicious and some of those things are fungus and bacteria it is a right. prime breeding ground filled with delicious nutrients and so you let that shit sit in there for a day and and that's it now you've got like i've seen the lines like if i went on vacation i could come back and the lines would literally be plugged with Oh. like growths of, oh. of of shit and it's like i don't want this job and somehow i've gotten this job so it's this i feel the same way for this person with the candy bowl like no it, it, it may be difficult in the short term for people to be like oh where'd the candy bowl go you know <laughs> and but i mean but those were the leeches like those were the people that that didn't care about this person they just cared about the candy well, bowl the, the one so, that would be even harder and, and the thing that you've got to gird your loins for are the people who weren't abusing the candy bowl privilege because right. they're going to come and be like oh what what can i do to help make the candy bowl not such a burden and they're going to try and get you roped <laughs> back into the goddamn candy bowl game and at right. that point it's like trying to get out of the fucking mob <laughs> well, but no, no, no. Here, here's the thing. Essentially, y you say, no, I can't do the candy bowl anymore. But then you pass the candy bowl to them. And then they are the candy ah, <laughs> Sort of a genie lamp Aladdin thing. Yes, that's that's what I was thinking of. So, so you can't, uh, you know, obviously the, the person doesn't want to do it. Uh, they have to find some sucker <laughs> that is willing to uh to take the the, the lamp or the bowl from the them. sucker of destiny <laughs> the lolly of import oh, the, oh no 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 the sucker sucker yes the sucker sucker there we go <laughs> uh no there there's something else uh in some other episode that we're gonna have to talk about like you know they they never said whether this was uh wrapped candy or loose candy uh, oh. I, I don't think we're gonna, we don't have enough time to go no. into it here, but that changes the game completely. No, I'm going to be on a tear for hours, Derek. We're going to have to cut that off, man. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, Frank. Unwrapped candy. Uh, we're back to the sticky thing again, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm glad I can introduce uh, mental horror uh, into your evening.
All right, so I, I think our answer for this person is to pass on the candy bowl like some sort of fucking cursed monkey's paw. Just right. get a bag of candy in the bowl, and the first person who comes and says, oh, where's the candy bowl? Then you just magically put it on their desk like some sort of the Santa Claus. Right. And, and there we go. I think that's the only way this can be solved. All right, Derek, want to punch the clock? Yep, let's punch the clock. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us out in a big way by helping other people find us, and it helps us grow our audience. If you do, we'll read your review on the show. If you have any questions you'd like for us to answer on air, send them to questions at WLICast.com. You can also visit us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash WLICast or on Twitter at WLImbalance and use the hashtag WLICast. This has been the Work-Life Imbalance Podcast. I'm Frank Eastman. I'm Derek Lewis. And with that, I think we're going to have to transfer you. I'm thinking of some outro music. Do you th- think it works? I like it, Derek. I think that's definitely what we're going to have to do. Okay. I, I mean... I thought I'd run it by you first, but uh, then I was like, no, we'll just do it live. (laughs) Black and black. (laughs) Something stack. (laughs) Really sure to read the words for it in this bit. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get sued.